Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Acts chapter 22. You will remember that chapter 21 ended rather abruptly. It's probably one of the least helpful chapter divisions in the entire New Testament, particularly for a format like this. We were hearing about the angry mob that had swarmed upon the Apostle Paul after a rumor was started by some unbelieving Jews from Asia that he had brought an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple. They were literally trying to beat and stomp him to death, when the Roman tribune Claudius Lysias intervened and took custody of Paul, whom he thought was an Egyptian false prophet. Once Paul was able to clear that up, he asked for permission to speak to the mob in an effort to clear the air. Chapter 21 ends with these words. Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush... He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, as I said, that's an odd place to end the chapter. We pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Paul wrong-foots them here, you might say. Many Jews of the dispersion could no longer speak fluent Hebrew. They generally spoke and wrote in Greek. This is a festival, remember. So the city is crowded with Jews from all over the Greco-Roman world. We were just told this riot was started by some Jews from Asia, from Ephesus. They were Jews of the dispersion, meaning they spoke better Greek than Hebrew. They, they generally operated in Greek. Greek was the lingua franca. They did their business in Greek. They spoke to each other in the streets in Greek. Even Philo of Alexandria, probably the most famous Jewish intellectual of the period, was not actually fluent in Hebrew. But Paul was. He was fluent in Greek. He'd been speaking to Claudius Lysias in Greek. But he was also fluent in Hebrew. And that mattered. Because the charge was that Paul wasn't very Jewish and that he had become a little too Greek. And so he speaks to them in Hebrew. And some of the people accusing him of being too Greek can't understand his flawless Hebrew. <laughs> Paul is being both conciliatory and a little bit ironic, despite that it was ultimately ineffective here. He speaks to them in Hebrew. And he said, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So here Paul is sharing his credentials. He's a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. He grew up in a Jewish family, and he went to the Hebrew Harvard. Gamaliel was the most famous Jewish rabbi of the Hillel school at that time. To have studied the Torah under Gamaliel 
is like having studied the law under Lawrence Tribe. That means something to people who know something about the law. So Paul's credentials are unassailable. He goes on to say, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. Now, just interestingly, there are three tellings of Paul's conversion story in Acts, and in general, the details are all pretty much the same. Here, however, Paul adds something unique. He says that he asked the Lord another question. He says, what shall I do, Lord? We didn't hear about that in Acts 9. And and that's just interesting because that's the mark of an authentic testimony. Nobody tells their story the exact same way over time unless it isn't true. You only tell stories exactly the same way if you have memorized them as opposed to having experienced them. So highlight that little phrase and file it away in your brain somewhere for future reference. He continues the story in verse 11. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Let's pause there. We, we've talked a few times now about the normal order of things in the Bible. People hear the word, they believe, and are baptized. But here we should probably also see some of the urgency surrounding that. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away all your sins, calling on his name. So there also seems to be a sense in the text in which all of this should happen in fairly short order. Did you hear the word of the Lord, friend? Did you believe the word of the Lord? Then what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is not a graduation party. It's a birthday party. It is the beginning of your walk. It is your initial public declaration of faith. It's like when the doctor spanks your newborn bum and you make your voice heard to the world. That's what baptism is. Paul continues his testimony in verse 17. He says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, 
They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Obviously, Paul did not get to finish his speech. This isn't where he intended to end. This is just where everyone stopped listening. And that tells us a few things. It tells us, first of all, that what these Jews found most offensive about Paul, and by extension, about the Christian faith, was the fact that it was so embracing and so inclusive of Gentile peoples. It wasn't that Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't that Paul believed that Jesus had, had died for our sins. It wasn't that Paul believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was that Paul believed that Jesus had done all of this to become the long-promised blessing to the world. Had all that been done just for them, they might have accepted it. But the idea that their religion was preparatory, that their purpose was missional, and that their mandate had been assumed and completed by Jesus Christ, and that their community must now be overwhelmed with Gentile converts, that was the bridge too far. That was where they stopped listening. They'd heard enough. They had heard the point of Paul's message. They identified the trajectory implied in his sermon, and they rejected it. Verse 23 says, And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So <laughs> let's pause here and state the obvious. The tribune obviously spoke fluent Greek. He probably also spoke fluent Latin. But as I mentioned, Paul has been speaking in Hebrew, and the tribune almost certainly was not fluent in Hebrew. So that is why he intends to examine Paul by flogging. He needs to understand why everyone in the crowd just lost their mind. Verse 25 says, But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. As we discussed back in chapter 16, Roman citizens were entitled to certain due processes of law. You could not question a Roman by flogging, right? There had to be a trial. There had to be the opportunity for defense. Paul was not a slave and he was not a peasant. He was a Roman citizen by birth and he asserts his legal rights as such. And I think that's worth seeing. There's nothing wrong with Christians making use of what legal rights they have under the laws of their own country. 
You don't have to go about looking for extra trouble. You don't have to go about looking for the maximum amount of persecution and suffering. If you enjoy legal protections, then by all means, avail yourself of them, as Paul does here. It is a blessing, brothers and sisters, to live under good laws. In fact, Bible scholars often suggest that the reason Luke includes this detail was to reassure Christians who enjoyed the rights of citizenship that it was not a sin to make use of those protections and privileges. Thanks be to God. The story concludes in verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. In a sense, this is one of the great hinges in the book of Acts. This is one of the great hinges in Christian history. From this point on, Paul is no longer a free man. His great missionary journeys are now behind him as far as the book of Acts is concerned. But of course, that's not to say that his apostolic ministry has concluded. Paul will make use of this long imprisonment and this very drawn-out legal process to write letters Letters to churches that we continue to read and to treasure to this day. And in addition, he will preach and defend the Christian gospel before soldiers, officers, tribunes, governors, and even kings and queens. As is often the case, what man means for evil, the Lord turns to good. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.